Let's pray together. Wow, Father, what an awesome promise. Um, what an amazing, what an amazing gift to know, God, that uh, you are constantly at work within us, bringing beauty uh, from the ashes of our lives, bringing beautiful things out of the dust of our lives. God, you take graves, you make them into gardens, you take our shame, you turn it to glory, God. This is why you sent your only begotten Son, not to condemn, but to save, not to judge, but to deliver, not to ruin, but to restore all that you have made. And so, Father, as we dive into the book of Amos this morning, we pray that you would teach us through your Holy Spirit how to do justice, how to love mercy, and how to walk humbly with you, our God. And then empower us through that same Spirit to offer these things as gifts to the world around us as we seek to mend all that is broken in your glorious name. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said. Amen. You can have a seat. Thanks, team. Uh, well, we are three weeks into our Ruin and Restoration series. We are looking at the book of Amos this morning. Um, and for those of you who love deep Bible study, I know this series feels like a flyover, like we are just barely scratching the surface. And for those of you who may be just getting started in the faith, or maybe you're not really familiar with the Bible, maybe it feels like you're drinking from a fire hose, uh, many of you may find yourself somewhere in between of those. Here's the thing, it's okay. It's okay to be wherever you are on the journey. All of us have to start somewhere. A wise pastor centuries ago uh, once said that the challenge for every faithful preacher is to give the strong in their faith something to aspire to and the weak in their faith nothing to run from. That's great advice, right? I mean, it really is. Because, again, um, we, we have folks here at Pepsi who run the gamut. You know, people come from all different walks of life, all different kinds of faith backgrounds, some from no faith backgrounds at all. So, again, we meet, the Holy Spirit meets us where we're at. He ministers to our needs, right, the, the, the needs of our particular heart or our particular circumstances. Now, how can I say that with any kind of confidence? Well, I can say that with confidence because I know how much God loves you. I know how much God loves you. He loves you more than you can ever know, Pepsi. I was convicted this week that I don't probably tell you that enough as, as one of your pastors. And, and not only does God love you, but he trusts you as well. And that may be a new thought to some of you, that, that God actually trusts you. He trusts you with his gospel. He trusts you with the lives of, of the people here in our church family. He trusts you with the eternal futures of the least reached and the least resourced in our community around us. And not only does he love us, and not only does he trust us, but he actually thinks we're beautiful. I know, that's... It's funny, isn't it, Scott? I agree. I look in the mirror and I think, really, Lord, right? But it is true, right? You are his bride. You are his body. You are his family. And he could not be more pleased. He could not be more proud. He could not be more happy to call you his adopted child. And you know the best part of my life. The best part of my life um, is that Jesus lets me, as one of your pastors, hold his bride's hand for a little while. I mean, that image, I don't know, there was just some, I was in prayer this week, and that image just kind of overwhelmed me. I was, I mean, I'm not often brought to tears. My wife will tell you that. I don't really cry all that much, but I got tears in my eyes thinking about that, just how amazed and blessed and humbled I am to be one of your pastors. Um, I love you, Pepsi, and I love our church family, and outside of being a father and a husband, it's the greatest honor of my life to serve you, and Again, I don't tell you that near enough. And here's the thing. So as God loves us and as we love each other and we lean into this love together, we can get through anything. Amen? 
including a series on the Minor Prophets. <laughs> all right, so anyway, all right, I grew up with two younger brothers like I shared with the kids. When you grow up in a household of three boys, all within about four years of each other, uh, things can get a little rowdy from time to time. Games can get a little physical. Uh, arguments can get a little heated. I remember growing up, my mom had this fly swatter. And, um, and, and when my, whenever my brothers and I would, would start, you know, get mad at each other and start chasing each other around the house, and you know how kids always find the circle that they can kind of run in? My mom would position herself in the kitchen with this fly swatter. And as we came running around the bin, she would whack, 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 and kind of send us sprawling. She had the most accurate aim. She would hit us on the back of the thigh right where it stung like the most. And, and again, she's deadly accurate and it straightened us, of course, right up. But when mom wasn't there to lay down the law, we had to deliver justice on our own. And, and of course, we all know what happens then, right? The strongest and the oldest tends to punch down. So I was the oldest and the strongest and I would punch down to Brent and Brent would punch down to Derek and Derek would either just end up sort of taking all of that punishment or he'd kick our dog Dusty and, you know, you know so on and so forth, right? It wasn't fair, it wasn't just, but that's how families tend to work, right? And it, you know what? It's also how humanity tends to work. He broadened that out to a larger global national scale, right? I think about a friend of mine, an Ethiopian friend of mine that I met in Desi, Ethiopia, where we'll be headed in April. And this man is brilliant. He's got three master's degrees. He works with the United Nations and several other NGOs as he helps people recover from the civil war that took place in northern Ethiopia between the Tigray tribe, um, who used to be in power, and the current national government, which is largely made up of the Aroma tribe. And when he and I visited an internally displaced people's camp the last time I was there, I asked him about his work and he, and, and, and he shared with me his frustrations with the UN in particular. He talked about how invested they are in perpetuating conflict rather than resolving it so that they could stay in power. Now despite the fact that the Tigray ruled the country with an iron fist for two decades, the UN considers them the oppressed because they're no longer in power. And the Aroma who lived under that tyranny for two decades, now they're the oppressor because they were elected and brought into power about eight to ten years ago. And as a result, the UN actually funnels most of their resources to the Tigray and leaves the Aromo to fend for themselves on some level, which results in starvation and the spread of life-threatening disease and abuse and violence you name it. It's brutal and it is terrifying and it's an example of why all human attempts to create justice ultimately fail. It's because we can't avoid the temptation of power. As Lord Acton who once said that power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. He was right. Human beings are addicted to power. Once we have it, we'll do all we can to protect it, to preserve it. To, we refuse to let it go. And it's why every time we try and put this broken world back together, and you think about all the efforts around the world to put all the brokenness back together, every time we do that in our own strength, in our own wisdom, we only end up creating more brokenness. The only way it seems that we can break cycles of oppression and injustice is by creating new cycles of oppression and injustice. You see it all over the world today. Every time an oppressed people group rise up and gains power, they turn the tables and they become oppressors themselves. And at the same time, you can't just leave the oppressors in power. You can't just leave them unchecked, right? You, 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 so what do we do? That's the question, right? That's the question we're trying to answer with this series. In a world that is falling apart, what is God doing to put it all back together, and how can we join him? Well, thankfully, we're not the first people to ask this question. So if you've got your Bibles or Bible apps, go ahead and open to the book of Amos. 
You know, the minor prophets were dealing with this same issue in their day as well. We're going to be looking at this man, Amos, and and how he answered this question for his people this morning. Uh, Amos is in the Old Testament. It's about halfway through your Bible. comes after the books of Hosea and Joel. Now, Amos is not a trained theologian. Um, He didn't go to seminary or anything like that. He's not part of the priesthood. He's not part of the ruling class in, in Israel or the political elite. He's just an ordinary guy who looks at the world around him and becomes deeply concerned over the injustice and the oppression and the unrighteousness that he sees. Now, anybody here feel like Amos when you look around at our world? Yeah, of course you do, right? Amos was a shepherd and a fig tree farmer. Uh, he lived in a town in southern, the southern kingdom of Judah that was near the border of the northern kingdom of Israel. And he prophesied during a supposed golden age. King Uzziah of Judah and King Jeroboam II of Israel both reigned for almost four decades. All right, They led powerful armies. They accumulated great wealth. They, they, they amassed a lot of power. But Jeroboam II in particular was not a godly king. Despite his wealth and power, his kingdom was filled with all kinds of violence and injustice and oppression, especially of the poor. And he encouraged his people to worship idols, particularly in the cities of Bethel and Dan. And this fires Amos up. And so he makes the trek from his hometown in Tekoa um, to the city of Bethel, where he begins to pronounce God's judgment on the nations and on Israel. Amos chapter 1 verse 2. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastors, the pastors of the shepherds mourn and the top of Mount Carmel withers. God is angry. And Amos knows that God is furious. The sins of humanity have stacked up over the centuries and the time of judgment has now come. There will be no escape. There will be no relief. The crimes of humanity must be punished. And what are those crimes? Well, Amos lists them out in chapters 1 and 2. He starts with the pagan nations, Damascus, Gaza, Tyre, Edom, Ammon, Moab. These are Israel's neighbors, and they're guilty of all sorts of crimes like violence and warfare and hatred and anger and terrorism and and idolatry. And over and over again, God says, for three transgressions and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. For three transgressions and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. One after the other, right? These nations are being called to account. And this, friends, is God being true to himself, by the way. When he first revealed himself to Israel way back at Mount Sinai, he told them he would by no means clear the guilty. He would by no means allow humanity's crimes to go unaddressed. He would by no means spare them the judgment. And what's true for Israel's pagan neighbors is also true for Israel herself. Yes, Judah comes under judgment in this book, but the oracles of Amos against Israel are three times longer and much more intense than it is for anyone else. Israel is denounced for the crimes of disobedience, deceit, greed, injustice, sexual immorality, idolatry, and drunkenness. Any of that sound familiar? Yeah, not much has changed, right? There's nothing new under the sun. Humanity humanity just seems to wash, rinse, repeat the same sins in every generation. We're not very creative, right? And for these crimes and many others, God is going to bring ruin upon Israel. He will bring the Assyrian nation down upon them to wipe them literally off the map. 
Uh, Amos chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. Uh, we don't have it up on the screen, but I'll just read it to you. Behold, I will press you down. This is God speaking. I will press you down in your place as a cart full of sheaves presses down. Flight shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not retain his strength, nor shall the mighty save his life. He who handles the bow shall not stand, and he who is swift of foot shall not save himself, nor shall he who rides the horse save his life. And he who is stout of heart among the mighty shall flee away naked in in that day, declares the Lord, no one will escape. Friends, the righteous judgment of God is the natural consequence for humanity's sin. And to sin, just to define that very, very specifically, to sin is to commit a crime against a holy God. It's not just a bad decision. It's not just poor judgment. It's not just an honest mistake. No, our sins are crimes. And because God is just and righteous, he must respond. So how does he respond? What is God's justice and why do we rightfully deserve it? We'll flip over to Amos chapter 3 verses 1 through 6. This is God's indictment against his people. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Does a young lion cry out from his den if he has taken nothing? Does a bird fall in a snare on the earth when there is no trap for it? Does a snare spring up from the ground when it has taken nothing? Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? What Amos is talking about here is covenantal accountability. You see, entering into a covenant relationship with God comes with expectations. And oh, by the way, not just for Israel and not just for us, but for God himself. In order for God to remain true to himself and all the promises that he has made, God must punish his people for their sins. He cannot give them a pass. He cannot simply forgive and forget and move on. He must act. He must judge. He must force them to give an account. Israel has fallen into the same trap here that so many of us do in our culture today. We assume God exists only to bless us. We assume God exists only to protect us. We assume God exists only to benefit us. And Israel was more than happy to see God bring ruin to their pagan neighbors, but they never thought God would do it to them. They believed they were immune. And I think about this, i got to be honest, I think about this every time one of, I, one of our political leaders, I, I, from whatever party, end a speech with, and may God bless America. I wonder, how in the world can you say that with a straight face? We're not seeking God. We're not honoring God. We don't follow God as a country, and yet we think somehow God is going to bless us? What kind of nonsense is that? And do we think that God will not be mocked? I mean, it, 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 it's nonsense. And it, it's certainly not true today, and it certainly wasn't true in ancient Israel. And so what does God do? He sends Amos, his prophet, to deliver the terrible news. Not only will Israel not escape the judgment to come, it will be far worse for her than the nations around her. Why? Because she should know better. She had the law. 
She had the Ten Commandments. She had the prophets, the priests, the kings. She inherited the covenant. She was a descendant of the patriarchs and the matriarchs. She knew the stories of God's faithfulness to to his people by heart. And still, she turned away. Still, she turned to sin. Amos 5, 10 through 12. They hate him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you will not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink of their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. And these are just a few of the crimes, friends, that Israel was guilty of. The list is extensive. I'd encourage you to go back, read the whole book. Get a sense of just how deep the stain of their sin ran. The reality is Israel deserved everything she got and more. And if we're honest, we are not that much different. Our nation is full of political corruption, the mistreatment of the poor, exploitative taxation, you name it. And yet, just like Israel, what does God do? He still holds out hope for repentance. Listen to his gracious invitation from Amos chapter 5, verses 14 to 15, and then jumping down to that famous passage from verse 24. Seek good. This is God pleading with his people. Seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious then to the remnant of Joseph. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing Stream. What God wants more than anything else, friends, is to bring back the Garden of Eden. He wants this world to be a place of beauty, not brokenness. A place of justice, not oppression. A place of goodness, not evil. But he refuses to go back on his original promise that he made to humanity. We are the ones that God has called to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with his glory. We are the ones who have been given dominion and authority over all God has made. And while every human being seems to have within them this internal instinct for justice and fairness and equality, it's not something you have to teach children, right? They just naturally understand it because of our sinful fallen condition we are simply unable to bring it about without creating more injustice more oppression and more inequality why because on a fundamental level we all repeat the same original sin we all want the kingdom without the king we want to be like god we want to determine good and evil for ourselves and it always 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 Are you catching me here? It always leads to ruin. Personally, collectively, nationally, globally. But thankfully, God's will for us is not ruin. It is. Okay, this half got it. Now this half. (laughs) Restoration. Amos chapter 9, verses 11 through 15. 
In that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming declares the Lord when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel. They shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. They shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. Yes, God is a God of justice. But guilt and punishment never have the final word. Yes, God will by no means clear the guilty and his judgments may last to the third and the fourth generations. But his promise is that his love and his forgiveness and his mercy and grace extends to the thousandth generation. In God's kingdom, the plowman quickly overtakes the reaper. The harvester easily outpaces the sower. The glory of the restoration far surpasses the devastation of the ruin. How do I know this? Because of the cross, friends. Because of the cross. There Jesus bore the full weight of the sins of the world. There Jesus took on all the punishment that humanity deserves for her crimes. He fully satisfies the justice of God and turns away his righteous anger at our sin once and for all. And when you think about it, right, of all the people that have ever right lived, or all, of all the beings in the universe, Jesus is the only one who had every right to punch down. Right? He's the only one. He's the most powerful, the most righteous, the most just being in the universe. He could have easily called on legions of angels to come down and to save him from the cross. Wipe out the Roman and the religious authorities who sentenced him to death. Pay us back for everything that we have done to him. But what did Jesus do? How did Jesus break cycles of oppression and injustice and inequality in our world? Philippians 2, he empties himself. He empties himself. Doesn't consider his status as God something to be held on to. He let go of his power. He let go of his glory. He took on the form of a servant. He was born a human being and he humbled himself to suffer and to die on a cross. That is how God brings justice to an unjust world. That's how God breaks the power of oppression. That's how God defeats the evil of our world. Not by becoming a tyrant himself. Not by flipping the tables and becoming yet another oppressor. Not by enforcing justice by sheer force of his power. No, he stretches out his arms and he dies. He lays down his life for those who are at war with him. He sacrifices himself even for his enemies, for you and for me. In this is love, the Bible says. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And gave himself as a sacrifice for us. In this is justice, the Bible says. Not that we pleased God or honored God or obeyed God, but that he obeyed for us. 
and live the perfect life on our behalf. Friends, if we ever, ever want to see the justice of God come on earth as it is in heaven, what we just prayed about, there is only one way to make that happen. We must follow the way of Jesus. We must let go of our need for power our need for control, our need to be right, our need to be like God, and instead deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. Now, some will argue that the way of Jesus is naive. I hear a lot of Christians arguing that these days. Doesn't work in the real world. Force got to be met with force. Violence with violence. Evil with necessary evil. Don't believe it. It is a lie. All one has to do is look throughout history and you can see those signs of where the people of God took seriously the call of God and they changed the world as a result. Look at what happened in Poland under the Solidarity Movement, led by a man who would later become Pope John Paul II when they took the way of Jesus seriously and they brought down the Iron Curtain. Look at what happened in South Africa under the leadership of Nelson Mandela and Archbishop Desmond Tutu and what happened to apartheid when they took the way of Jesus seriously. Look at what happened even in India under Mahatma Gandhi, not a Christian, but inspired by the way of Jesus. And as a result, India found her independence and the caste system was destroyed. Look at what happened in our own country with Martin Luther King Jr. under his leadership who took Amos's words to heart as he fought for justice and equality and called our nation to live up to her righteous ideals on which she was established. If you ever want to talk about what this looks like, right, we can do that. Give me a call. We'll go grab a drink. We'll go talk about it, right? Love to talk that through with you. Love to pray that through with you. Love to encourage you. Love to share with you, friends, how you, like Amos and so many others, can work to bring God's justice and God's righteousness to our world. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. In a few moments, our kids will come back in to join us for our final song. Here's the deal, friends. Our world is still crying out for justice. Our world is still crying out for righteousness. The poor, the powerless, the oppressed, they are still in need of deliverance. So how will the people of God respond? Will we respond like the world responds? Or will we respond the way Jesus responds? It was G.K. Chesterton who said that the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. And that is absolutely true. In a world that is falling apart, what is God doing to put it all back together? He is sending us, the church, to be his hands and to be his feet and to show the world another way. And he's filling us with his Holy Spirit to send us out to repair all that is broken, to renew all that is faded, to restore all that has been ruined in the name of Jesus, through the power of Jesus, and for the glory of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that you are not done with this world. You will never abandon this world. And into this world, God, you have placed your church, your people. You are called by your name. And you've called us to be humble. And you called us to pray. And you called us to seek your face and turn from our own wicked ways that we might become your agents of restoration in a world that is ruined. 
and continues to fall into ruin with each passing generation. There is so much wrong, God. And so you send us to help mend the brokenhearted, to come alongside those who are hurting, to bring wholeness and healing and hope, all in the name of Jesus, Lord. And forgive us, God, when we would turn to the same tools that the world uses, the tools of power and oppression and injustice to enforce our own world, our own way or our own ideas, God. We don't want to do that, God. We want to follow the way of Jesus. We want to offer our lives as sacrifices, God, so that this world might see, might see you for who you are, the God of justice, the Savior of all. Lord, send us out. May we live as your people in this world, empowered by your spirit to show them a different way. We pray this in the name of Christ and all God's people said, amen. Hey, let's stand and sing our final song about this God of justice.